I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start at the end. I was on a trail the other day. I think I told you about this. I was on a trail the other day trying to find the end of it and um, still hadn't found the end of it. But I ran into somebody who told me that the, the trail does connect past the wash where I have lost it a couple of times. And she said, maybe if you start at the other end where the trail picks up and work your way back. And so I'm going to start at the end today and just tell you that you can give away everything because in Jesus you've already gained everything. You can give away everything because if you have Jesus, you've already gained everything that you need. Now, I'm going to take another 25 or 30 minutes to get to the end, but I'm just going to tell you where we're headed, all right? I want to welcome you back to this very short series on generosity and giving. We, uh, last week, we looked at how, uh, as believers in Christ, if you're a Christian, as believers in Christ, we uh, live in the New Testament, in the new covenant of Jesus' blood, and we are no longer under the Old Testament commands, the Old Covenant, the Mosaic Covenant. And so because of that, we don't obey the laws of the Old Covenant, one of those laws being the requirement to tithe. And um, instead, we have, instead of having the obligation to tithe, we have the opportunity to give. I got to tell you, last week's message was a tough message for me uh, to preach because for 40 years or so, I, like a lot of you, have used tithing and giving interchangeably. Just this Friday, uh, Bridget said, hey, uh, don't forget to give me back the checkbook because I got to give, I got to write our tithe check. I said, our what? She said, our tithe check. I said, our what? She goes, our tithe. Our giving check, you know, but but it's a it's a it, interchangeably we've used the word tithing and giving, you know, so interchangeably, and and we want to get to where we are giving because it's an opportunity, not because we feel like we're under an obligation that we have to do something. I was also uh, a little, you know. I was also encouraged this week because, you know, I wasn't sure how people would respond, and I was encouraged by some conversations that I had with some of you this week, uh, some, some positive conversations. I was also encouraged that my key still worked and my name was still on the door uh, when I got to work on Monday. So, hey, if you weren't here last week, if you missed all of that and you're wondering, what is he talking about? We don't have to tithe. Go back and watch that message. Go back and listen to it. It'll make sense. Uh, but one of the things I said a number of times last week is that even though we're not obligated to tithe, we do have an opportunity to give, and that we would talk about that this week. And so that's what we're going to talk about today, uh, is that we have the opportunity to give generously. I'd go so far to say that even what we see in the Bible, based on what we're going to see today, that it's really an expectation. And, you know, generosity, that's one of our church's core values. We say that, uh, that we have a gratitude that gives, that we realize that we've been blessed by God. We are blessed to be a blessing, and out of that thankfulness to him, out of that heart of gratitude, we just want to give back. We want to be a blessing. We want to give uh, cheerfully and generously that, that we worship him and, and we trust him in our giving. And, uh, and more than just being one of our values, it's really something that we see as scriptural. It's biblical. 
Scripture's full of, uh, of examples of generosity, of, of encouragement to be generous, even assurance that when we live generously, that God will continue to, uh, to, to provide for all of our needs so that we continue to live generously. So let's take a look at uh, what Scripture says about being blessed to be a blessing. That's the title of today's message. We're going to jump around uh, in a lot of passages. We're going to land in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. But uh, to start off with, here's the first thing we see. Point number one, if you're following along your outline, is that Scripture abounds with examples of generosity. All throughout Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, it abounds with examples of people who are being generous, who are giving because it's what's coming out of the overflow of their heart, not because they're commanded to and they're just doing what they have to do, but instead they're doing what they want to do, what they get to do. One example, we're going to look at a few of them, is the example of Abram. Later on, you're going to know him as Abraham, uh, but in Genesis chapter 14, the Bible gives us a great example of somebody who voluntarily and willingly uh, gave generously and, and sacrificially as an act of worship. Let's look at Genesis chapter 14, just a few verses, 17 through 20. It says, After Abram returned from his victory over Kedel Lamar, he and his allies, uh, the king of Solomon, uh, king of Sodom, Sodom, went out to meet him in the valley of Shava, that is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, the king of Salem and a priest of God Most High, brought Abram some bread and wine. And Melchizedek blessed Abraham with this blessing. Listen to what he says: "Blessed be Abram by God Most High, Creator of heaven and earth." And blessed be God Most High, who has defeated your enemies for you. Then Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of all the goods he had recovered. Abram went to rescue uh, his nephew Lot and uh, several hundred, a few hundred other people. And after the victory, he's met by this priest, a guy named Melchizedek. And Melchizedek blesses him, but also blesses God. And Abram, in response to God giving him victory, generously and sacrificially gives a tenth of all the spoils of war as an act of worship to God. Now, some look at this and say, see, he gave a tenth. That's tithing. The problem with that is that this was before the Mosaic command. This was long before Moses went up on the mountain, brought down the Ten Commandments, long before uh, Leviticus and, and Numbers and Deuteronomy, where we have the commands, the Mosaic covenant and the laws. So this was, this was a tenth, but it wasn't a tenth because it was a command to tithe and support the priests in the temple because they didn't have the priests in the temple or the priests serving in the temple at that time. But rather, it was just Abram doing what he felt was an act of worship to God. This was him choosing to give generously. He had been blessed, and so he was turning around and just being a blessing. Another example we have is the example of Jacob. If you flip over to Genesis chapter 8, we see another example of somebody will, of willful generosity and sacrifice. Jacob is on his way back to uh, his ancestral homeland to, to get a wife. He's uh, setting out on his own to start a life for himself. He's um, kind of burned some bridges with his brother, and uh, so he's, he's on his way, and as he travels, he stops, he spends the night somewhere, and while he's spending the night there, he has a, a dream or a vision, a vision of God, a vision of heaven. When he wakes up, he realizes that he has been, uh, he's had a very special encounter with God, and, and this is really one of the turning points in Jacob's life. This is really a big shift because, you know, the story of Jacob prior to this and a little bit after this, he, uh, he really gets 
gets ahead by his own wits, by his own conniving, by his own plotting and, and scheming. But here he realizes he's had an encounter with God, and he needs to start living his life with God as his God, in obedience to God. And so check out what he does. In, in response to this moment uh, that he has with God, check out the, the pledge, the vow that he makes to God. Genesis 20, verses, or excuse me, 28, uh, verses 20 to 22. It says, Then Jacob made this vow to God. If God will indeed be with me and protect me on this journey, and if he will provide me with food and clothing, and if I return safely to my father's home, then the Lord will certainly be my God, and this memorial pillar I have set up will become a place for worshiping God, and I will present to God a tenth of everything he gives me. So just like Abram, Jacob uh, says, I will worship God by giving him willfully and sacrificially a portion out of what he has blessed me with you know, not because he had to, but because he wanted to. Well, you move forward in the Old Testament, and you get to the example of King David in First uh, Chronicles 29. Uh, David wanted to build a temple for God, and God said, no, you can't. You, your hands, you've been a man of war, not a man of peace. Your hands have shed uh, too much blood, but your son Solomon can build the temple. So David uh, and the people, he said, well, at least we can get the materials together. At least we can provide for the temple. And so that's what David does, and we see that in First uh, Chronicles uh, 29, uh, prior to the passage we're going to read, that he gives incredibly. He gives more than generously. He gives extravagantly. I think it says he gives like 112 tons of gold out of his own personal treasury. And, and I think it's like, you know, he gave like all from his own personal treasury and over 260 tons of silver. Some estimates have that uh, by modern day standards is over six and a half billion dollars that he gave to the, to, to the temple, to the, to the funding of it. And then he challenges his leaders and the people to also give extravagantly. And what's really amazing is David's attitude towards giving. He and his people are giving. He realizes they're just giving out of what God has given them. They're only able to be a blessing because of how God has blessed them. Listen to 1 Chronicles 29, 13, and 14. This is after he's made this gift, after he's challenged the people, after the people have responded. He says, Oh God, we thank you and praise your glorious name, but who am I and who are my people that we could give anything to you? Everything we have has come from you and we give you only what you gave us. He's like, look, we're just blessed, and we're being a blessing out of how you have blessed us. Let's fast forward to the New Testament, and we, got, we have a great example there. We're going to look at another one in, when we get into points two and three, but let's look at the example of the early church. Again, we're just looking at examples of, of, of people being generous givers, and in, in, in the early church in Acts, we see uh, great examples of giving. You know, in Acts chapter two, it says that they shared all their possessions, and they held everything as common. You know, what, what's mine is yours. What's, uh, what's yours is mine. You know, I learned that when we got married. Bridget said, you know, what's, what's yours is mine and what's mine is mine. No, uh, we, you know, we share everything. But, you know, that's what the early church, they were just like, hey, everything we have, we're just going to share it. And if anybody has needs, we're going to make sure that all the needs are met. And it was really cool. What's really neat is as you continue reading Acts, you see this wasn't just a one-time thing. 
You know, this wasn't just a little sit around the campfire and sing kumbaya and hold hands kind of moment. This was how they lived as a church. Uh, you go to Acts chapter 4, and, and we see that the church is continuing to share possessions with one another. We see that the, that what happened in chapter 2 uh, continues to go on. They continue to live selflessly and generously with one another. Let's read uh, Acts 4, 32 to 37. It says, all the believers were united in heart and mind. And they felt that they that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles and give to those in need. For instance, there was Joseph one of the apostles, nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. And he was from the tribe of Levi, and he came from the island of Cyprus, and he sold a field he owned, and he brought the money to the apostles. And so what we see is just people, as there's opportunity, as the Lord lays on their heart, as there's need. Now, it's not like nobody owned anything, nobody owned nothing, you know, every, everybody gave everything away because they still met in each other's homes, so some people still owned homes. They still, some people still have property because they're, from time to time they're selling it. So it's not like they just lived on some weird, weirdo commune or whatever in Israel or in Judah, Jerusalem. They, they were just living generously and kindly and saying, look, as God lays it on my heart, I'm going to give to you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share what I have. So what can we learn from all of this? We, we learn in these examples and, and many more. This is just a handful of examples that, that what the Bible tells us to do, the examples we see from others in the Bible, is we see examples of people giving generously. We see examples of people giving sacrificially, giving joyfully, and giving because they see that everything that they've been given was given to them by God. And it doesn't belong to them. It belongs to God. And so rather than looking at the amount we should give, maybe what we should do is look at the attitude by which we give. Lord, help me to be generous. Lord, help me to give sacrificially. Help me to see giving as a privilege. And when I get in the pattern of giving, help me to remember that it is only by your hand that I'm able to give at all. I'm not doing anything special. I'm just living like other people lived in the Bible. I'm just giving like you have given to me. I'm just blessed to be a blessing. Guys, that's the example that we see of giving in Scripture. That's the example that I think we should follow. But not only do we have some great examples to follow, number two, we see this. God's Word gives us an encouragement to be generous. God's Word gives us an encouragement to be generous. We're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And, and what we see here is Paul's writing to the believers at a church in Corinth, the Corinthian church. And in the first part of chapter 8, he's just finished bragging on this other group of churches in Macedonia, talking about how great they gave and how much they gave and how they begged for the privilege of giving, even giving beyond what they were able to give, uh, more than they thought they were able to. And then he shifts his attention to the church at Corinth, and he he encourages them to also be generous in their giving. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 8, beginning in verse 7. He says, Since you excel in so many ways, in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, uh, and, and your love from us, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. I'm not commanding you to do this. But I'm testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of other churches. 
You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. Here's my advice. It'd be good for you to finish what you started a year ago. Last year, you were the first who wanted to give, and you were the first who began doing it. Now, you should finish what you started. Let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched now by your giving. Give in proportion to what you have. Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly and give according to what you have, not to what you don't have. I love Paul's tone in this passage. You know, there's some times where Paul talks to the churches, especially the, the church at Corinth, where he's really tough with them. He's really harsh with them, but not in this passage. Here, he, he's got a real gentle tone. It reminds me of Bridget's dad. It reminds me of Papa. You know, if you ask him for his, if you ask him for advice, he won't tell you what to do. He'll just say, well, if it was me, you know, and he just sort of, he just sort of lets you, you know, he lets you come to him with advice. He lets you come to him and, and ask. He, he, he's got a ton of wisdom. He could tell you what to do. He could tell you the right way to do it. But instead, uh, he'll sit back and watch and let you kind of do it a while, maybe even mess it up some. And then you'll ask him and say, well, if it was me, you know, all along, he's probably thinking, you know, you, you big zipper head, why didn't you do it this way? You, you big knucklehead, why didn't you just, you know, whatever. Uh, but instead, he just, you know, it's a real gentle tone. And that's, that's kind of how Paul is here. Sometimes he can come across really forceful and really demanding and really commanding, but that's not how he is here. Here he's kind of like Paul. You know, he's just, he's giving them some encouragement rather than make a demand on them. I love the language he uses. In verse 7, he's like, here's what I want you to do. You know, I want you to excel. I'm, 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 I'm pulling for you. You know, in verse 8, he says, I'm not commanding you to do this. Verse 10, he's like, here's my advice, and it would be good for you. And then I love how he wraps it up in verse 12. He's like, look, whatever you give, as long as you give it with the right heart, it's going to be a good give. I hope, I hope, I hope you hear the heart of this passage. Paul is encouraging them to be generous. He's hoping that they will decide for themselves to be generous, that they'll follow God's leading, uh, what, what they started a while back, that they'll finish what they started. He's not making demands on them. Instead, he's hoping that they will see the blessing of being a blessing. Dave Ramsey, uh, this is sort of a summary quote of what I've heard from him say before, but he says, you will never regret being generous and being a blessing to others. You will never regret being generous and being a blessing to others. And so we have an encouragement from God's Word. We have, an exa we have plenty of examples to be generous. We have an encouragement. The last thing we see uh, is that God gives us a new attitude towards riches. If you're a believer, if you're a Christ follower, if there's been a time in your life where you've placed your faith in Jesus and you're now trusting in Him then God gives us a totally new attitude towards uh, wealth and money, towards riches. I heard a story about a little girl who uh, her dad said, I'm going to give you allowance. It's kind of an old story. You'll tell by some of the details in it. But his dad said, I'm going to start giving you allowance. I'm going to give you an allowance of $2. And she was excited. That's how old this story is. She was excited to get that. He said, on one condition, $1 belongs to you and the other dollar belongs to the Lord. And on Sunday, you got to put that dollar in the offering plate. And she said, okay. And so, you know, she left the house, and she went skipping down the street, headed to the candy store. She was going to spend her dollar. She had one dollar in one hand and one dollar in the other. And as she was skipping, she tripped on a crack in the sidewalk, and she went to catch herself, and she let loose of one of the dollars to catch herself. And then she looked up, and she saw the wind carrying away one of the dollars. And she looked up, and she said, well, Lord, there goes your dollar. 
I think if we're honest, that's our attitude towards riches sometimes, isn't it? You know, we hold on too tightly to what we have. I've, I've only got a little and I've got to hang on to it. Well, in chapter 9, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, we see that God gives us, if we'll let him, a whole new perspective, a whole new attitude towards riches. Let's read 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 to 13. Paul says this, remember this. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide for all you need, and then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the Scripture says, They share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you'll be enriched in every way so that you can also be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of believers in Jerusalem will be met, and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. As a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God. For your generosity to them and all believers will, provide, will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Jesus Christ. So what are the attitudes that God helps us have towards riches? What are the ways that he changes our, our thinking about, uh, about money and stuff like that? Well, here's a few things that we see just out of this passage. One of the attitudes that God changes or one of the things he develops is that you realize that your giving results in God's glory. Your giving results in God's glory. Sometimes when we give, we give because we know we're going to get a good feeling. Sometimes when we give, we know we give because we, we, we like the way it feels sometimes to write out that check or to, you know, to put that money in the, in the offering box or whatever it is. You know, we, uh, you know, other people might know or other people might see how generous we are. Sometimes we just kind of give ourselves a little pat on the back, you know, yay me, you know. But really, really, the, 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 when we let God adjust our hearts in this area of giving, we begin to see the real result, the most important result. Yes, people's needs are met. That's what it says here in verse 12 and 13. That's what it's talking about. People's needs are going to be met. And yes, that, that is definitely a result. But more importantly, God is going to be praised. He's going to be thanked. He's going to get the glory. Guys, when we, when we give a little, that's the real result. When we give a little bit, then God gets a little bit of praise. When we give a lot of it, then that results in God getting even more and more and more praise and glory. And that's the result we're shooting for, is, is for God to get the glory. Now, because we're giving with the end result in mind, the end result of God getting glory, then you begin to adopt a sowing mentality. That's the next bullet point. You realize that your giving results in God's glory. The second one is that you begin to adopt a sowing mentality. Verse 6 compares giving generously with planting seeds. He says, look, if you only plant a little bit of seed, then you're only going to get a little bit of harvest. And remember what the harvest here, the harvest is not, please understand this, the harvest of giving is not you getting more. Please repeat, say that with me. It's not about me getting more. It's not about me getting more. All right, right now there's like, you know, they're not watching me. But if they were, there's, you know, 
preachers on TV and, you know, wealth and whatever preachers are like, no, no, don't say that, you know, because it totally ruins their ministry. Because that's what they teach is you give so you can get. If you'll give, then you'll get more. That is not what this is talking about. The harvest this is talking about is the harvest of God's glory. It's not about me getting more. It's not about you getting more. It's not about, hey, I'll give more so I can get more. That's not what the Bible's talking about. What he's saying here in context, he's talking about if you plant a little bit, then you'll reap a little bit. And what you're reaping is the glory of God being praised. And what's resulting is the glory of God being praised. And conversely, if you plant a lot, then guess what God's going to get a lot of? God's going to get a lot of glory. He's going to be thanked a lot. People's needs are going to be met a lot, but that's going to result in them thanking God a lot. And so you begin to adopt a different mentality. You begin to adopt a sowing mentality. Rather than holding on to as much as you can, you want to sow as much as you can so you can give as much as you can so people will praise as much as they can so God can be glorified as much as he can. You change your attitude. Now, let's be honest. We get to a point where we're like, yeah, I don't know if I can, you know, we're giving and we're giving and we're giving. And we start to think, well, maybe I might be giving too much. I might run out. God might, not, God might not be able to keep up with me. That's where we get to the last bullet point. You learn, here's how God adjusts our attitudes towards riches. You learn that you can't outgive God. You cannot outgive God. John Bunyan from Pilgrim's Progress says, A man there was, and they called him mad, but the more he gave, the more he had. Guys, I've heard over the last week a couple of stories from different people, a few stories from different people. One of them, uh, in response to last week's message about giving and giving generously, one of them was a widow who said that she, uh, when her husband died, she was really worried about money because not only was the income reduced, there was no additional income coming in. And she, you know, she lived, she was having a hard time living open-handedly. She, was, she saw herself living closed-fistedly. And said, God, I just don't know if I can be generous like you want me to be. You know, I need to save. I need to save up for emergencies, and I need to save up for unexpected bills. And, you know, I, I don't know how there's going to be any more money coming in. I don't know if I can give like you're telling me to give. And then she just started doing it. She said, you know, I'm, I'm tired of living this way. And so she started giving generously. And, and here's the deal. No more money started coming in. This isn't one of those gives so you can get kind of things. No more money started coming in. But you know what she found out? is she always had plenty. She always had more than enough to give more than she thought she could. God will provide. You can't outgive God. I was talking to somebody else, and they were saying, you know, early on when we were married, uh, my wife said we need to give, and, and the, the husband was saying, I, I don't think we can afford to. And, and he said, but, you know, they, they talked about it a while, and he said, I'll tell you what, at the end of the month, if we've got enough left over, then we can give. Well, sure enough, at the end of the month, they had enough left over. And he said, all right, honey, we, we can go ahead and give. I, we've got enough left over. And she told him, I've been giving every week. That's why we have enough left over at the end of the month. You can't outgive God. If you, if you give to God with like a little sand shovel, you know, you're at the beach. And you guys know the beach, right? Right, you love, we got, here in Arizona, we got all the sand, we just don't have the ocean, you know, but, but you go to the beach and you're, you're playing in the sand and you, you give, you know, you give to God with like a little sand shovel, God dumps a sand bucket on you. You say, okay, I'm going to give with the bucket, he dumps a 55-gallon drum. You're like, all right, I'm going to use the 55-gallon, he brings that beep, beep, front end loader. You can't outgive God, and it's not so that you can get more. Say it with me. It's not so I can get more. Say it. It's not so I can get more. It's so that God can get the glory. 
We are blessed to be a blessing, yes, to meet needs, but more importantly, so that God gets the glory. Now, I left out, I left out one important illustration or one important example as we, as we wrap this up. Uh, I missed a key example, and I'm sorry that I did. Let's circle back to it. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. And if this is the only example we ever looked at today, it'd be all the example we need. Paul reminds the church, he says, you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich for your sakes, he became poor, so that by his poverty, he could make you rich. He wasn't talking about making them rich monetarily. He was talking about giving them eternal life. Paul reminds us that Jesus, God's son, had everything. Living in heaven, living in paradise, he had everything, but he gave it all up. He gave it up for you and for me. He gave up the riches of heaven so that you and I could become children of God. Jesus gave up everything so that you and I could gain everything. And if you've got Jesus, you've already got everything you need. Guys, that's the only example we need. That's the only motivation we need. The song we're about to sing is Jesus paid it all. And because he paid it all, all to him I owe. All to him you owe. Because he paid the, sin, the debt of my sin when he died on the cross, I owe him everything. I've been blessed by God. If you're a believer, you've been blessed by God. You've got the free gift of eternal life. And now we get to live as a blessing. We get to give as much as God wants us to give because we've already gained everything we'll ever need. We get to let go of everything the world says to hold on to because we've grabbed on to Jesus. So my question for you today is, have you grabbed on to Jesus? Have you grabbed on to, has there been a time in your life where you have placed your faith in Jesus to save you and now you can say, listen, you're all I need. You're all I want. And if you're all I've got, that's more than enough. If you've done that, then you too can Live generously, give generously, give cheerfully, give sacrificially because you're not letting go of anything that matters. You've already got the only thing that matters. You got Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, then you're probably going to go through life holding on to everything the world says to hold on to. And I hope that's not your case today. And if it is, I hope that today is the day of salvation for you. Will you pray with me? All across the room, heads bowed, eyes closed. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you. For Jesus. Thank you that Jesus paid it all when he died on the cross. Thank you that he conquered death and sin and hell and the grave when you raised him back to life. And thank you that if we have Jesus, we have all we need. Now, Lord, help us to live like people who really understand what it means that to all, all to him I owe. People who don't hold on to our checkbooks or our possessions or our savings or our retirement or our investments or our, our, our houses or cars or anything like that, even our, our ideals and goals, we just hold on to Jesus. Lord, I pray if there's anybody here today who doesn't know Christ as their Savior, who all they have is maybe religion, all they have is maybe some good morals and some good behavior, but they don't have Jesus, I pray today would be the day of salvation where they would let go of the world and grab onto Jesus.
they would just call out to you and say, please forgive me for my sins. I accept Christ as my Savior. I'm ready to live for Him. Jesus paid it all, all to Him I owe. In Christ's name we pray, amen. I want to invite you to stand as we sing this response song. It might be helpful for you to take out that connection card and just look at some of those responses on the back and say, Lord, how are you calling me to respond? What are you leading me to do? You've paid it all, all to you I owe. What do you want from me today?